I want to thank everyone for being here this morning. We really appreciate you all being here. I think this is the biggest crowd we've had since coming back. And so I want to thank you and appreciate all of you for coming. If you're visiting with us this morning and you'd like to connect to our church, uh, there should be a connect card uh, either in front of you or uh, you can do it online at ourbiblebaptist.ca slash connect. If you're watching online as well, we'd love to be able to connect with you uh, online. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity and technology to do online. And I'm honestly, we, we've talked about this before, but 10 or 15 years ago wouldn't even be an option. And so we're just so thankful that the Lord has provided us with these things. And so I hope you will continue to be uh, encouraged, and I hope you'll be able to, uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, we would love to be able to connect with you. Uh, we want you to know that we are doing our very best to stay up to date on everything that's going on with all of this. I get an email every day from Southwest Public Health as to what we can do and we can't do. And sometimes I read it in frustration, and other times I read it with excitement. Uh, but we want you to know that we're watching those things. Um, we have, you know, obviously we've, uh, we've been singing here in our, our church, and we've had some question about that. And uh, the public health unit has uh, suggested that we limit singing, and we've done that. Uh, we don't sing as much as we used to. And so, and then um, we're... I, I want everybody to understand that at some point we're probably going to have to have masks here in the next couple of weeks. I've read several things going on. I don't know all the details, but this I do want you to know. We've decided that whatever the government says that we have to do to keep everyone safe, that we're going to do that as long as it doesn't go against the Bible. And I've looked. Masks are not in the Bible. Okay, trust me. I've looked, face coverings, very much so not in the Bible. We've looked, we've studied it, and we want to do what is right. In fact, Romans chapter 13 tells us to be subject to the powers that be. Uh, they're ordained of God. And so as much as you don't like it, as much as it's going to frustrate you, I wore a mask last Sunday. We actually wore a mask uh, a lot of the time last week um, because we were camping. And by the way, I want to thank the guys uh, publicly uh, for doing a great job, Pastor Holland, Pastor Stone, and even Pastor Levi on Sunday night. They did a great job, and so I want to thank them for that. And uh, without them, we, we could not go away. And so I'm just so thankful for them. But we were away in all of the Kawartha Lakes. Any public place that you went to had to wear a mask. And then we went to church at my in-laws last week, and we had to wear a mask in church. And guess what? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It was okay. I didn't like it, but nonetheless, it wasn't that bad. And uh, so it's, it's coming here to St. Thomas. We don't know what all the regulations will be, whether or not it will have to be in church. But uh, we want you to know that we're doing our very best to do all we can uh, to maintain some, some normalcy as well as keeping people safe. And so we're, we're excited that we get to meet. We're excited that the Lord has provided this opportunity. But if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Hold your finger there in Acts chapter 2 and go over to John chapter 17 as well. Acts chapter 2 and John 17. And I mean this with all sincerity. If you see something that we can do or should do or you see a better way of doing things, by all means, we want you to suggest things. We appreciate that. I'm calling people often, asking things like that, if we can do things better. Again, everybody has their own opinion. I understand that. Uh, but we want to make you feel comfortable, um, as comfortable as you can for your health here in our church. So we're just thankful that you have chosen to be here with us today. Again, if you're online, I appreciate you joining us online as well. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Before we begin, I want to give you an illustration. It was the summer of 1936. How many of you remember 1936? Anybody? 
No? Good. Last service, there was a couple of people that half raised their hand. I'm not really sure if they were joking or serious. I can't tell. So, but it was the summer of 1936, and the Summer Olympics were being held in Berlin, Germany that year. And they were being held over the watchful eye of one Adolf Hitler. As the crowds gathered, they began to gather at this one particular place called the Langer Sea. The Langer Sea was where all of the rowing competitions were taking place. And out of eight rowing competitions, Germany had already won five gold medals in the rowing competition. This particular competition was the men's eight rowing competition. There's eight men in the boat and one in the back, so there's nine men total in the boat. And this particular uh, uh, event was gaining some, some awareness, if you will. It was gaining some awareness because there were nine men from Washington State University who were really taking the world by storm. Every race that they had, had raced against anybody from the west of all the way to the east, they had beaten teams in Europe, they were beating everyone. And obviously the Germans, over the watchful eye of Adolf Hitler, wanted to win for their beloved Fuhrer. They wanted to win so that he would be proud of his country and proud of these young men. So it was gaining quite an awareness. The race is getting ready to start, and instead of saying go, they drop a flag. So they drop the flag, and for some reason, the men from Washington State University did not see the flag drop. They began to see everybody else start rowing, and so they knew that they had to make up some time. And in, in this men's eight rowing, they have a pace. And so they began to pace out at 38 strokes per minute. I want you to think of rowing at 38 strokes per minute. So that's what they started out as, and as the coxswain began to watch, as he began to see these men rowing very hard, he realized that if they rowed at that rate for too long, they would burn out. So he called them back just a little bit, tone it down, and I think they made it down to about 35 strokes per minute, all in sync, every one of them in sync. For almost six and a half minutes, these eight men in their streamlined skull listened as their coxswain began to call out how fast to row. By the end of the race, these eight men were perfectly in sync at 40 strokes per minute. That is a lot and that is fast. For six and a half minutes, they rowed in perfect sync. They had worked so perfectly together that despite getting a late start, they still won the gold medal by barely a second. They won. Listen, we think, wow, that's amazing that they could work like that so spectacularly to win the gold medal, to be the best in the world. But far more amazing than that was the several months that led up to this particular race. You see, these eight or nine men that were from Washington were just good old country boys, hardworking some of them were, were, uh, worked in a wood mill. Some of them worked on farms. And they were all together. But guess what? They had to learn how to work together. They had to learn how to work perfectly in sync. Completely. In fact, I challenge you, go look up the videos. 1936 Summer Olympics Men's Eight Rowing. 
And you will see them perfectly in sync. Not one man is out of sync. They are in perfect alignment and they begin to roll faster and faster and faster and they end up winning the race. You see, previous to this race, these men had to learn to swallow their own pride. They had to learn to get rid of their insecurities. They had to learn to trust the other eight or seven rowers there in the coxswain. They had to. They had to trust every man to do their own part. They were a perfectly harmonious working team. You see, these men could not row alone. That was a different competition. These men had to row together, eight of them. They had to overcome pride. They had to overcome insecurities, as we said before. And this team, doing each man his part, finally rowing at 40 strokes per minute in perfect harmony, this team... Work is, this was teamwork at its finest. And it was, if you will, extremely productive. So productive that they ended up breaking the world's record at that time. These men were in perfect harmony and extremely productive. When a team works together, they are almost unstoppable. But think about this. When a church works together... With the power of God, we are truly unstoppable. In fact, the Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's what we can experience. So let's go ahead this morning and look at a message that I've entitled, The Power of Productivity. The Power of Productivity. I want to show you four aspects of teamwork that will allow us to be extraordinarily productive extraordinarily productive the first thing i want you to see is the dream the dream i would assume that most of you have heard this saying so if you have and you can finish it i want you to finish it with me teamwork makes the dream work i heard one person all right team has, has anybody ever heard of that before teamwork makes the dream work jj's heard of it okay teamwork makes the dream work Okay, we, I've heard that growing up and we, you know, playing team sports and all these different things. Teamwork makes the dream work. You want to work hard and you can accomplish your goal. You get a team of soccer players together. You get a team of rowers together and they all have the same dream, the same purpose. They can accomplish that purpose if they work together. What a wonderful, powerful thought. What a wonderful, powerful thought as you look around you today and think about our church and what we could do if we work together. Teamwork could make the dream work. But to be honest with you, I personally, and I believe the Bible teaches, and I'll show you that in just a second, I believe the Bible teaches that that's not the full essence of what God had intended for the church. God did not intend for teamwork to make the dream work. I believe God intended this. I believe God sees it this way. Teamwork is the dream. Teamwork is the dream. For God, that's what God prayed for. Let's go to John chapter 17. Hopefully you have your finger there. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying to his father. Begging his father for some things. And in John chapter 17, we read his prayer. Look at verse 11 with me. John 17, verse 11. The Bible says, And now I am no more in the world, but these, the disciples, are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, 
Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Here it is, that they may be one as we are. Jump down to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So not just these 12 disciples that are with me, but every person who believes on me through their word. Look what he says in verse 21. I'm praying that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And he continues. Jesus' prayer to God was that we, all of us, that would believe on the name of Jesus Christ would be one, would be a unified unit, would be a working team together that we could be so harmonious and in sync That's what Jesus is praying for. He is praying that we would be a powerfully productive unit. John 17, just days before Jesus meets the cross and and dies for our sins. And then we go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the picture and the beginning of the model church. Exactly what God had intended, I believe. And we've looked at this passage before in this series, but Acts chapter 2, if you would with me, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. The Bible says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness in singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want you to notice a few things with one accord. They had all things common. Uh, uh, they did uh, eat with their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. This was the model church. This was what God had intended for the church, a church coming together, working together, living together, providing all things common, providing for their fellow man, all of these different things God had intended. And guess what they were doing? They were making a difference. They were truly making a difference. Verse 41, you can see that there were about 3,000 souls added to them. They were looking at their fellow brethren and they were doing good unto the household of faith. They were seeing other people have need and they were selling their possessions that all could have. I believe this is what God intended. This is what God has purposed for his body to be a powerful unit. Psalm chapter 133 is only three verses long, but listen to these verses. 
Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. In the Bible we look at the oil and this is such a beautiful picture when people are dwelling together in unity. It's like oil being poured on Aaron's beard. Oil in the Bible is often pictured a picture of the Holy Spirit being anointed with the Spirit. And so, listen, a church that is unified, a church that is working together, it's like the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon it. And it is powerful. And the Bible even says here at the end of the passage that there's a blessing that God gives. God gives blessing. This is God's dream that brethren dwell together in unity, that they feel and work together as a team in perfect harmony and in perfect sync. Teamwork is the dream. I believe God's goal for Bible Baptist is that we all work together. We all, in honor, prefer one another. That's the goal. That's the dream. And if we do that, if we in honor prefer one another, we work together, we work together toward what I want you to see, number two, the destination. We saw, we've seen the dream. Now what are we working toward? We're not just working toward working together. We have to work together toward something. And what is that? The destination. Let's follow this same church through. Let's take a look at this model church and see what it does. Acts chapter 3 Peter and John are headed to the temple at the hour of prayer. And as they head to the temple, they see this man sitting by the gate beautiful, begging alms. Alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Peter, we, most of you will probably know the story. Peter looks at him and says, hey, look at me. Silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money to give you, but hey, I have something better than money. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man jumps up and leaps and begins praising God. And his feet gain strength. And I mean, it is amazing. And people start coming to Peter and John. Whoa, what happened? This guy was lame from his mother's womb. What happened to this guy? And Peter and John begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all these people. And guess what? The religious leaders of that day did not like that one bit. They didn't care for that one bit, and so they ended up arresting Peter and John, and they brought them into the common hall, and they begin to uh, uh, threaten them, and they begin to take counsel against them, and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do with these men who are preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. Go over there with me. Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 19. Acts chapter 4 and verse 19. The Bible says this. After being questioned and after being told they could not teach in the name of Jesus, you see that in verse 18, Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Whether it be right to hearken to you more than God, judge ye. Here's what they're saying. We don't care what you think. We're going to do what God wants to do. 
We're going to do what God has asked us to do. Listen, the destination is simply this, to please God in everything. To please God. To keep Him as forefront. Listen, the goal, the destination was for the, not for them to get arrested, threatened. That was not the destination. The destination was for them to please God in everything. And look what happens. Look at verse 31. They end up coming back and they begin to tell everybody what happened. And they begin to pray and sing praises to God that they would be willing, that they would be honored enough to suffer with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and bought the prices of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto them, unto every man, according as he had need. Listen, great power is given. Great grace is given. I mean, things are happening. This is a productive church. The goal was to please God. The goal of this Bible Baptist Church is to please God. Every individual to please God in everything. We've, we've said this before. We've said this in the last series or so. Listen, you should not be asking yourselves, what can I do today? But God, what can I do to please you today? God, what would you have me to do today? The goal of Bible Baptist Church is every single person, every single moment of every single day to please God. Boy, think about it. If we work together, if we work together, all of us with the same destination of pleasing God, you know what it looks like? It looks like this church. I don't know about you, but I look at this church and I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately jealous of what God is doing here. I would like to say a godly jealousy. Jealousy of what God is doing, what God is performing. These people are pleasing God. How are they pleasing God? Well, they're pleasing God by preaching the gospel. Telling other people about Jesus Christ. Do you realize that that pleases God? Listen, think about it. If all of us did that, if all of us spoke the gospel, preached the gospel, told our neighbors about Jesus Christ, what would happen? I'm not talking about being uh, overboard and shoving it down people's throat. I'm in no way suggesting that. But what if we were all open and spoke the word of God with boldness? What if, what if we all looked at each other and said, hey, I want to help you. Peter and John look at this man and say, listen, I really don't have any money, but there's something I can do for you. Hey, we don't, we don't have any money, but we can sell our lands and our possessions, and we realize that you don't have as much as you need, so let us give to you. Look at, they were giving, they were looking every man on the needs of others, not on their own. And so their destination was to please God in everything. Please God in everything as they looked at their neighbor, love my neighbor. As they looked at God, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
the church working together to reach the same destination of pleasing God. What a wonderful, beautiful picture. In fact, if you'll turn back to the beginning of Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 4, God does something more amazing. The Bible says this, Howbeit many of them which heard the word that, uh, of Peter and John that they were preaching, heard the word, believed. And the number of the men was about, what? 5,000. 5,000. So we'd seen 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. And now we see another 5,000 of just the men. Again, there could be women and children. We don't know. The Bible just says 5,000 men. Listen, God is doing something in this church. This church is being extremely productive. Extremely productive. They're accomplishing extraordinary things. People are being healed. Things are happening that have never really happened before. They're successful, if you will. But as with anything successful... There are times that things just get in the way. We always used to say a monkey wrench gets thrown into things. According to my research, what I've read, the number one thing that, that hurts productivity, the number one thing that keeps you from concentrating is distractions. You're working in your office, and this happens to me all the time be studying for a message and thinking about what I'm going to write down and where the Lord wants us to go with all of these things and begin thinking and thinking and ding, my phone goes off. And what do I do? First thing I do is look at it. Immediately it just distracted me and took my concentration. One of the guys will walk in or Darlene will call up and say, hey, you know, I just wanted to ask you something or, you know, whatever, or here's something that I heard about today or whatever. Listen, immediate distraction distractions. The number one thing that will kill your productivity is distractions. Hello, the same thing in the church. Don't just see number three, the distractions. Let's follow this church. Acts chapter 5. Some of you would know this story, but you can see in Acts chapter 5, there was a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. They had sold a possession. They had said, yeah, we'll partake in this. We, we have some extra uh, you know, things or lands or whatever. We have some extra, so we'll sell that and we'll give everything to the church. The Bible tells us that they held back a portion of that. And Ananias comes and lays the portion at the apostles' feet, and basically Peter says, is that all? Ananias says, yes, it is. Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Ananias dropped dead. Sapphira, a little while later, comes and says basically the same thing. And Peter says, why have ye done so against the Holy Spirit? The feet of the men who have buried your husband are here and will bury you as well. And she immediately died, gave up the ghost. We see in Acts chapter 6, there's a murmuring of the Grecians toward the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So all of these things are happening. Listen, was there a legitimate concern for the Grecians? Absolutely, their, their widows were. But guess what they did? They went about it all the wrong way and they began murmuring toward these Hebrews. And so if you will, it became a divisive thing. It began to divide instead of unify. It was the Hebrews against the Greeks. You could almost say it was racist. 
It was divisive. And it began to split the church apart. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is martyred. Stephen is martyred. He preaches the gospel and they don't like it. And they begin to gnash on him with their teeth and take big stones and stone him to death. Acts chapter 8. Saul of Tarsus scatters the church because he was hunting Christians. The church runs and hides, tries to get away from him. From these four chapters, we see two different distractions. The first distraction out of Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6 is number one, pride. Pride. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to keep a portion of what they had sold to themselves. Was that wrong? No. Here's what was wrong. They had committed to giving all, and they only gave some. They, want, they were proud and wanted to keep a portion of it for themselves. It was all about them. Acts chapter 6, the Greeks. Again, a legitimate problem, but they go about it all the wrong way, and they begin being proud and saying, you are not taking care of my needs. And it becomes divisive. Please, please hear me. Pride will distract you from the dream. And pride will distract you from the destination. Why? Because pride begins to focus on me and what I want. Pride begins to compel my desires instead of focusing on other people, instead of focusing on God. Pride runs rampant in churches. Pride runs rampant in churches, even during this time of COVID. Let me illustrate. There are some of us that think that if we have to wear a mask, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to any stores. We're not going to church. If you want to wear a mask, you're, you're ridiculous, right? Some of us think, well, if you don't wear a mask, you're ridiculous. Do you know that that's dividing churches over a dumb mask? Do you see how it's distracted us from the dream? Do you see how it's distracted us from the destination? One dumb little piece of face covering. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. I don't want to wear one. It's, that's not, that doesn't excite me to wear one. But one stupid little mask does not mean that I can hate my brother for it. That I can destroy a unity that God is trying to do. Listen, we get upset at people who have a very uh, uh, high uh, carefulness around COVID, we think, what is the big deal? And it begins to divide us, and there are people that are very careful that look at everybody else and go, what are you doing? And it begins to divide us. Instead of this, this whole virus, you know what it ought to be doing? It ought to be bringing us closer together. It ought to be looking at other people and saying, listen, they're really concerned about this virus. What can I do to help them? 
hey, these are people that, you know what, they don't really mind. They're out and about. They're doing these things. What can I do? I can pray for them. I can help them. I can encourage them. Listen, instead of a virus completely dividing a church, it ought to be unifying it. But our pride gets in the way. Our pride says, I don't want to. I, I don't like that. That's not what I want to do. And we begin looking at ourselves and it's distracting us. It's distracting us from the dream of God seeing a church work together. This virus, I believe 100% God's in control of it. God could take it away right now, but he hasn't. And so instead of doing it, drawing us together like it should, it's dividing and we are being distracted from the dream and we're not pleasing God by it. Listen, I don't know that this is happening in our church, but I've heard that church splits have happened over whether you wear a mask or not. What an absolute shame. Understand, that's pride. That's pride. It's all pride. And listen, the list could go on and on. We could talk about the color of the auditorium. We could talk about TV screens. We could talk about what, you know, the color blue. People's pride gets in the way of everything. And it will distract you from what God is trying to do. We will not be a successful, moving forward, powerfully productive church if we are distracted by pride. The second thing that you need to see, distraction, is persecution. Acts chapter 7, and, or 6, and 7, and 8, where Stephen is persecuted. Stephen is completely destroyed with massive rocks. Now, does that excite you about doing what God has asked you to do? Going out and preaching the gospel and telling people, hey, I'm a Christian. And all, does that excite you? It doesn't excite me. Man, if I go out there and do that, I'm going to get stoned. And then Saul is legitimately hunting down these people. He's coming into your homes. He's breaking these things up. You claim to be a Christian, I'm taking you to jail. Again, I don't get excited about being a Christian now. That doesn't make me happy. That doesn't edify me. That doesn't build me up. And so persecution will distract you from what God has intended, the dream and the destination. Persecution is intended to distract us. It is intended to dissuade us from moving forward. You see, we get calls all the time for BPS, sending John and Romans out. People all the time call us and say, don't send your blankety blank, 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 blank booklet to me again. You guys need to stop. You're killing trees. All of these different things. Listen, that's not even persecution anywhere near compared to what's happening here in Acts chapter 8. But guess what? It's meant to dissuade us. It's meant to distract us from what God has called us to do. Persecution is intended for us to cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. You could equate it to Peter walking on the water. Guess what he did when he was looking at Jesus? Walked on water. Guys, he walked on water. Not frozen water, moving water. That's amazing. That is spectacular. But guess what happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus? 
began to sink. Guess what happens when a church begins to take their eyes off of Jesus? Guess what happens when a church is distracted from what their purpose is? They begin to sink. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, I'd like to read that for you. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, hear this, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay it aside in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Why should we look at him? Why should we consider him? Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Almost every day throughout this virus, things change. All of you know that. We're trying to make good decisions for our church. We're trying to make wise decisions. And we've, I don't think we've ever met more as a staff. We're constantly trying to look at things. Can I tell you something? That wears me out. I cannot imagine leading a city or a, a province or a nation through this thing. I can't imagine how much it would wear on you. I can't imagine how much it would want you to make you faint and just give up and say, I'm done with this. Listen, again, we all want this to go away, don't we? But guess what? God's still in control. God has allowed it. So what do we do? We look unto Jesus. And consider him lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. Keep your focus on him. In Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen being martyred. And as he's being martyred, what happens? Excuse me, it's Acts chapter 7. What happens? Where was Stephen looking? Remember? He looked toward heaven. And guess what he saw? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Throughout his persecution, throughout all of these things, he kept his focus on Christ. Don't get distracted. Don't allow the distractions to come because it will kill your productivity. Now I want, to see, I want you to see number four, and I'll finish up quickly. The discovery. This is what happens when all this, it's, it's, an, it's an anomaly, it's a discovery. Acts chapter 9 Continuing through this, Saul meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He's blinded, he's kicked off his horse, and he sees Jesus and he says, What wilt thou have me to do? Guess what? God calls him to the ministry. Paul, he's, Saul turns into Paul. Paul becomes an amazing apostle of Jesus Christ. Great things are happening, but I want you to see verse 31. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, the Bible says this. Then had the churches rest 
throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were what? Edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Read the next two words with me. Were multiplied. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, it talks about addition. This talks about multiplication. You know that multiplication happens a lot faster than addition, right? You, you get higher in numbers way faster than addition through multiplication. You see, these people, these people in Acts chapter 9, they were scattered abroad. Every one of them were running for their lives from this Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting Christians. They were getting away from him. But guess what they kept doing? They kept preaching the gospel. They kept teaching people. They kept the focus on God. And guess what happened? God multiplied. God multiplied, not added, multiplied. They were being powerfully productive. They were being powerfully productive. Do you realize it is not my responsibility to build this church? Do you realize it's not your responsibility to build this church? You want to know what our responsibility is? Our responsibility is to, in honor, prefer one another. To work together as a team toward a common destination in everything I do to please God, to do all that I can do to completely eliminate distractions. That's my responsibility. And guess what happens? The formula is very simple you do your part, and God will multiply. You do your part, and God will multiply. If we all will play our part, God will build the church. God will make us far more productive than we could ever be on our own. I brought with me a watch. There's a watch in here. I don't know if you can see that. But this watch is completely in pieces. All the parts are there, trust me. They're all there. But guess what? How many of you think this is a good watch? How many of you would want this watch right now? None of you. Guess what? It's all enclosed. If you will, it's in the same building. All the pieces are there. But guess what you get? Just a noisy, worthless watch. Can I tell you something? Sometimes that's what we can be. All the, all the pieces are in the church. All the pieces are there, but they're not working together by any means. You know what they just become? Just a noisy, worthless group of people. In fact, I can take this out. Here's the outside. Here's the lens. I have no idea what that part's for. This is the crown. The back. Even the, the little hands are in there and everything. It's all, it's all there. Pretty, pretty amazing piece of machinery. This is the crown. How good do you think that is on its own? Anybody want that? I mean, it's, it's worthless. It does nothing on its own. But yet we think that we can live our lives on our own, 
do our own thing. God has gifted us with a certain amount of abilities and talents. And we think, ha, I got this. You are a worthless piece of a watch. Oh, oh, we'll we'll get together and we'll all be together and we'll all be physically in the same building, but we won't work together. We don't want to be fitly joined together. We'll just do our own thing. You are just a noisy, worthless pile of mush, really. But I brought another watch with me. I love pocket watches. This watch is completely formed. Works well. As soon as I push the crown, guess what happens? That opens. It's a beautiful watch. It's great. All perfectly fit together. Let me give you one last thing. We can be a perfectly formed, put together watch. Let me ask you a question. Are we productive? Not quite yet. And this watch in particular there happens to be a little battery. You forget the battery, which in this case will be the power of God. You forget that little battery, guess what you have? A very well put together watch, but still no power. Guess what? This watch right here has a battery, has everything put in it. Guess what time it is? About five minutes to 12. How many people have asked you for the time? Hey, what, hey, what time is it? Not so much anymore, necessarily, because everybody has their phones and things. People ask for the time all the time. This is a productive watch. You take one of the things out. You take the power out. You take some of the gears, some of the cogs out. Guess what? You no longer have a perfectly functioning watch. Same is true in the church. God has fitly joined us together. God has put us together, and he wants us to be together and to work together. And when you work together, you're productive. And guess what people start doing? They start asking, hey, you've got something that I want. Hey, how in the world did you make it through that? How, how in the, you've got something. I want what you have. Do you have the time? Because we have a productive body. I want to challenge you very simply this morning. To be a productive church, we must have all the parts working together as a team. We must have the power of God. We can look at the model church. You know, we often say, you know, Acts. Oh, that's Acts. I mean, I mean, come on. That was a different day. I mean, the Holy Spirit was really working like we've never seen it before. And I would tend to agree with you there. But I want you to understand this. There is no doubt in my mind that Bible Baptist Church can be far more productive than it is right now. I think we do a good job. But we have to put away pride. We have to work together. Persecution, we're not really under persecution yet. But there comes a day we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And be a fitly joined together body. 
and we will be a powerfully productive unit. I have no doubt in my mind that that's what God intended. I hope you'll take the challenge today. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Help us to be a powerfully productive church, not for anyone's sake, but for yours. Father, in so many ways, I feel you must look from heaven and just shake your head at the ridiculousness of some of the things that we get into, at the pettiness, at the just the pure sin and pride that we allow to come and wreck your dream of working together. I pray that today we would decide to be a church that is a well-maintained, well-oiled, perfectly functioning machine, a powerfully productive unit. And Father, we pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I hope that today you will take some time and you'll make a decision. We haven't done this in a while, but if you feel the need to come to this altar, socially distanced, of course, you can do that. If not, that's fine. I would challenge every person to take some time. We're going to give you a minute or two just to take your phone out or a piece of pen, a pen and a piece of paper, excuse me, and just write something down, something down that you can apply to your life today. We're going to give you some time to do that. Let's go ahead and do that right now.